genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no, you can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. Always forgive. I'm uncomfortable because I think forgiveness is 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 almost irrelevant. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast. This is episode eight and I'm Al. I'm Leanne. And if you've not listened before, just the format of the, of the podcast is very much that Leanne is the expert in workplace culture, anything to do with engagement, leadership, etc, etc. I'm not the expert, but I do own a couple of businesses and so therefore I'll be quizzing her and translating the science that comes out of her mouth into stuff that we can actually, as business owners, uh, we can actually implement. Um, anything to add to that, Leah? No, I'm, I'm ready to be translated. <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about positive work cultures. Now, this is based on an article, I think, Leah, that uh, did you find this article? It did. It popped up on my, my LinkedIn feed, actually, yeah. And it was originally, well, it was published in the Harvard Business Review, and it's by a lady called Emma Sapala and another one called Kim Cameron, uh, which are they, I think... Emma's from Yale School of Management, and Kim is a professor of management at the University of Michigan. Now, when you originally read this article, what were your initial thoughts on this, Leah? I think as a as a psychologist, I appreciated the the overarching narrative. In terms of somebody who has worked in businesses and with business owners, it all just sounded a bit like, well, that's nice, but how can I actually make that work commercially? It all sounds just a bit too woo and a bit too friendly and a bit too not real worldy. Um, so I saw it and I just thought this might be an interesting thing for us to, to touch on and just translate some of the truth and maybe some of the potential lies of, of what the authors are saying a positive culture is as presented in this article. Of course, these are very specialist people. I'm not competing with professors from the University of Michigan or Yale, certainly not. But I think what we're not saying, well, we're not saying they're wrong. We're saying as consultants in workplace culture, we think that sometimes this level of best practice needs some translation um, just to help SMEs better understand it as, as a concept and also to leverage the techniques in a way that's actually going to work for their business. Absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the issues that as a, as a non-professional, 
um, I come across when I read stuff, um, particularly very academic or stuff that's, that's come from an academic um, sort of person is that I go, well, that's all well and nice. And perhaps if I was Google, IBM, or someone with a budget of 10 million a year to spend on my people, then yes, that would be the thing we're going for. But the fact is that if with most businesses, you're growing, uh, you need to make sure that you spend your money as responsibly as you possibly can, um, but also look after your people. And so I think what's interesting, will be interesting about this is to go through um, their ideas and then say, right, what is it that we can actually take from this and apply to a smaller business who perhaps don't have or doesn't have the uh, the budget that larger businesses might have? So we start off with this idea. I mean, the, the, the headline of the um, of the article is proof that positive work cultures are more productive. But I don't think I understand what a positive work culture is. So can you explain what is a positive culture? Yeah, so in in psychology, if you're reading anything psychology-based and you see the word positive, that comes from a movement called positive psychology, which was founded by a guy called Martin Seligman in the late 90s. He was the president of the American Psychological Association. His mandate at the time was to start to shift the, the mindset that psychologists were bringing to human behavior. So where the focus traditionally was on mental illness, maladaptive behaviors, negative thinking, and how we address those to a point where someone can function normally, in inverted commas, it builds more on the movements of um, uh, humanistic movements um, and encourages an emphasis on the more positive aspects So how we can help people get from, from kind of surviving to thriving. So if I've understood that correctly, then um, the traditional thinking was more like a sticky blaster or a medicine or, or something to fix the problem, the ailment. Whereas um, the positive work culture is more about how to eat healthily, how to take vitamins so that you don't get in that situation in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I guess as a, as a, as a psychological school of thought, it's kind of going from rather than just focusing all of our efforts on the problems and getting them to a point where they are then functioning. How do we actually start with what's functioning and make changes to make them thrive? So if we're looking at that in an organisational culture perspective, maybe rather than necessarily focusing on perhaps very small areas of toxicity within your culture, it's putting your time and attention into those people who are currently functioning well within your business and helping them thrive, and in turn helping your business thrive, focusing on the positive aspects. Okay, so if I've got 20 employees and one of them I know is on Facebook half the time and another one is long-term absent and and doesn't seem very engaged when they're here, but the other 18 are pretty well engaged, then am I right in thinking that positive culture is basically building on the strength of the other 18 first before we, rather than going straight for the two, which I'm not sure about and trying to fix that? Yes, but I think this is where my first question mark with with how this article is is presented comes up and that is the fact that to me I don't necessarily think positive culture is a type of culture and what you explained there was what I'd call an engaging culture so we talked about this on the podcast before but it's about how leaders can actually put their efforts into the people who are engaged rather than disengaged and how that's going to have much more benefits for you um, both in the short and in the long term for me, when I'm looking at, at something like um, this explanation of a positive culture, to me, it, it feels more like a an organisational climate as opposed to an organisational culture. Okay, well, 
you've just used a phrase there that I've not really come across before, organizational climate. So what's a, what the hell is an organizational climate versus the culture? So climate is more about staff's perceptions of, of how the work environment is currently impacting them, impacting the team, impacting their work, impacting their well-being. Climate is fairly changeable and it can fluctuate. So, for example, if you're in an organisation, say you are in a, a school and your school typically is all about teamwork. It's very much around um, positive relationships and enablement. Um, but then you're you get announced that officer are coming in to inspect. Your organizational climate is going to shift very quickly. It's going to become more about, right, process-driven. How do we show this? How do we achieve that? How do we evidence this? How do we get everybody to hit these deadlines very quickly? The climate is going to change to facilitate the current challenge that the organization is going through. Culture, on the other hand, is much more ingrained within the norms and the expected behaviors of a workplace. So it's less on what is being done and how it's being done. So if you are a creative agency and you have, uh, you win a big project, it's coming towards the end of this deadline, then your climate might be one of, um, one of like, we've got to rush, we've got to, we've got to make sure this work good and done on time, et cetera, et cetera. That might not necessarily affect the culture, which is everyone does the best they possibly can and really cares about the, about the customer um, or the client. But you're saying that the culture can fluctuate throughout perhaps a year, whereas the, sorry, the climate can fluctuate throughout the year, whereas the culture ideally would stay the same. Yeah, and this is a fundamental change within the business. Um, rapid growth, for example, that can threaten the existing culture within within the business. But if you don't go through a significant change, then culture is going to be fairly stable unless you 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 want, you know, you, you're either an intervention or something happens to the business. Whereas climate is going to fluctuate with both the individuals um, and the environment in which they operate. So how does a business owner manage the climate or create an engaging climate? So I think really with um, with climate, we first need to think about culture because climate is also one of those things that fairly, maybe fairly uncontrollable depending on the other influences on the business. So for example, at the moment, the cost of living crisis is causing significant challenges for businesses, both in terms of the um the kind of the financial implications of that and also the well-being of staff potentially. So climate is also a, a, a phenomenon of external factors that are uncontrollable. We always like to focus on what is controllable. So I think if we first look at, at culture, the tricky thing with culture is there's no real agreed definition on culture. And again, we've touched on this before when we talk about recruiting for culture fit. And that is one of the first issues. That said, some more recent research has looked at hundreds of models on culture. And it's found that there's eight typical types of culture essentially mapped on a scale of how people interact, whether they are independent or interdependent, and how they adapt to change. So are they op operating in environments that are typically um, quite flexible and, and rapidly changing, or are they in environments that are quite stable? The important thing with this research and what was concluded is that of these eight culture types, there isn't one that's superior to the other. They all come with their advantages and disadvantages. So if we take two opposite cultures, so in terms of, of how these cultures are mapped, the two that would be considered kind of polar opposites of each other. So one of the cultures of the, the eight cultures that was identified is called a caring culture. So a caring culture will focus on relationships, mutual trusts. 
work environments are going to be very warm, very collaborative, very welcoming places. They're going to be defined by people who, who really help and support one another. They'll go out their way to help and support one another. And employees typically are united by a sense of meaning, loyalty, and leaders are really going to emphasize the sincerity behind teamwork and these positive relationships. Think something like the NHS okay. is going to have typically a caring culture. Okay, well, I mean, that sounds like something that everybody wants this, this culture. So how can you have a culture which is opposite well, the thing with a, a caring culture, I mean, the advantages are you are going to have improved teamwork, engagement, communication, trust, and that huge sense of belonging. But the disadvantage of that is there may be an overemphasis on consensus. It may be very difficult to explore new options. It might stifle competitiveness. Slow decision making is likely to creep in. I mean, I'm sure if you speak to anybody who works in in organisations that are very purpose purpose led change is something that can be very very difficult to implement and that in itself um, can really stagnate stagnate growth the opposite culture is what's called a results driven culture so it's very much about achievements and it's very goal focused so whereas you're going to have this improved execution um that the a caring culture may not you're also going to have a lot more of um focus on goal achievement on capability building uh, much more of a competitive nature not necessarily between the team but externally with other organizations the downside of this is they're going to be there may be an overemphasis on achieving results and that may lead to breakdowns in communication and collaboration and also high levels of stress and anxiety if people aren't managed in in a way to make sure they're not going they're not burning themselves out and they have the the right levels of, of resilience to deal with this more high pressured environment neither culture is perfect each has their advantages and disadvantages and I think really by understanding the culture that you currently have and then laying over an engaging climate then in a business leader you're going to be able to moderate any of the potential disadvantages of the current culture I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast nudge we love nudge hosted by phil agnew a true gent it is of course brought to you by the hubspot podcast network the audio destination for business professionals but that is not the only reason we're recommending it is it Al? no it's not no we've recommended it to lots of people if you look at any of our youtube comments don't, it won't take you long there's about 20 of them <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod well on nudge you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips it's going to help you kick bad habits get a raise and grow a business Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so let's take this to a more practical view of this. So we're going to pick a business, let's say it's an accountancy firm, um, and their culture is obviously results, but also carefulness and, you know, attention to detail, et cetera, et cetera. So that is their culture. 
But then when it comes to tax season, when they've got when they've got to submit everyone's tax returns on by the 31st of January for the UK, um, then I'm, get, I'm imagining that the climate at that point is going to be a bit more frenetic. It's going to change slightly. Is that right or not? Yes. Yeah, it might well do. And as you say, it's the, it's very likely that organisations are going to have a, a dominant culture and then kind of a, a, a secondary culture. Um, so as you said there, you know, an organisation that is in, in in an area that works in compliance and regulation in within the law, there is going to have to be an element of a culture called order, which is more rule abiding, more cooperative, as a big focus on big focus on operational efficiency. Um, there is, you know, an emphasis on on rules and things that need to be need to be followed. So what you might find in in areas where the climate will shift, the secondary culture may come to the fore. Okay, that makes sense. So I mean Moving back onto this article, it, if I remember, they've got six characteristics of a positive workplace culture. And there's one that just jumped out at me, which it didn't feel right or practical, actually. It might have been right, but as a business owner, I'd be like, this doesn't seem practical. And that was that one of the essential characteristics was avoiding blame and forgiving mistakes. Now, as a business leader, how can we make that work commercially? If we're not able to hold people to account, then... You know, if someone goes and messes up massively, I go, oh, don't worry, it's all right. It's all right. It's not all right. It's pretty far from all right. So how do we hold people to account, but still incorporate this idea of avoiding blame and forgiving mistakes? Yeah, so it's a really good point, And it is one as well that, that really stood out to me when I, I read through. Um, I mean, what this is essentially referring to is in a culture, is a learning culture, um, and we know that learning cultures have very positive relationships with both well-being and performance. So learning cultures are very open. They're very um, inventive. It's all about exploration. Um, you know, creativity really is is at the heart of a learning culture. What that also means as well to allow that that level of creativity and innovation is high levels of psychological safety. And to be psychologically safe, we need to know that we can make mistakes and we're not going to be blamed or immediately fired for for doing them so if we think elon musk if we think tesla spacex you know they're they're very focused on innovation innovation at that level is quite literally world changing the man's trying to get us on a colony on mars in the next 30 years um but if you look at you know the the starship prototypes i think there must be on number 15 now because they keep blowing up or missing their landing or so in in that sense you know the learning culture isn't about blaming um you know, it's. I think blame in general, whatever organisation, is not going to be a very productive thing to do because then also as a leader, if you're blaming somebody, you're not taking accountability for your role in whatever happened for for this mistake to happen. So I'm I'm half I'm half with them. No blame is really good. Always forgive. I'm uncomfortable because I think forgiveness is 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 almost irrelevant yes you forgive you know you're not going to hold a, a grudge for somebody who who makes mistake that's that's not going to be productive but at the same time you need to help people learn from their mistakes you need to help your teams learn from mistakes you need to reflect on what went well what went wrong where are the red flags what did we miss what could we do differently in the future what can we learn from this situation to make sure it doesn't happen again and we get better outcomes for the business for ourselves and for our customers there is a point, however, where the learning could stop. 
And somebody, an individual or a team continues to make the same mistakes over and over again. Now, it's at this point that I think always forgiving becomes a little bit counterproductive. It's bad for you and it's bad for your business, but also it's bad for that individual. Very few people come to work every day with the intention of doing a bad job, but they may be in the wrong role for them. They might be in the wrong team. They might just not have the strength, the skills, knowledge, the abilities to do this job at the level at which it needs to be done. At that point, your responsibility as a leader is to either help that person find another job within the organization that is more fitting to their skills or work with them to manage them out of the business because ultimately, repeated mistakes is not sustainable for a business that is in growth. Let me ask you then, because there's a a fair bit in that article about social relationships, Um, but as a manager or a leader, do I want to be friends with my employees? Do I want them to be friends with each other? Is that the right or wrong thing to do? What do you think? I think undoubtedly positive relationships in the workplace are going to have a positive impact on engagement and well-being performance. You know, good relationships with our with our peers, our managers, our leaders, they're really important and they have, you know, evidence shows they have direct impacts on our performance, on our well-being, on our physical health even. But what I fear this article is perhaps over overemphasizing is the root of these positive relationships is in friendship, or dare I say, family. And I think this is where the the risk and, and potential negative impacts could come. I mean, no one wants to performance manage their best mate if things aren't going well, right? But I think with these types of relationships, being a friend, being a family, it's more pulling out the principles and then reframing them to then apply within your business. So for example, in these types of relationships, friends and families, you know, that there is this healthy um, feeling of being able to challenge people, to have discussions, to be able to question why somebody believes a certain way or or to problem solve or to, to innovate or think about, well, what is the best way to, to cook the roast chicken on Sunday? Um, and it's not a case of avoiding conflict, but it's a case of making sure that situations don't escalate to a point of conflict and also dealing with any unacceptable behaviours within the workplace as well. Being empathetic with the challenges somebody is facing in their business. These are all aspects of that we'd find in friendships, we'd find in family relationships and they will motivate people they will help performance they will nurture well-being but they're done through the lens of an organization and through business management so you talked about empathy quite a lot there um and i think i mean i know that back in the day when, when you when you had a job one of your best lead best managers um demonstrated a huge amount of empathy i'm looking back to back 20 years ago when i used to work for people then the worst bosses the ones who didn't weren't empath- empathic is that right empathetic empathic whichever the word is. <laughs> so, um, so, and those, and the best ones, are the ones who did have this empathy. So as a leader, how are you going to develop this empathy or this empathic leadership style? Yeah. And empathic leadership is something that's getting a lot more coverage at the moment. And it can be really effective in terms of, of motivating performance and nurturing well-being. I guess, first of all, to define what it is to be an empathic leader, um, you know, demonstrating empathy, which is, you know, imagine we we kind of use this analogy oblong where if you imagine kind of a, a person who's who's in a hole then sympathy is somebody standing looking into the hole going you all right that looks bad i'm so sorry this has happened to you empathy is when that that 
that that second person who's not in the hole will get a ladder, get in the hole with them and go, wow, it's dark down here, isn't it? That's empathy. And when you have real empathy for the challenges that your your team are facing, that creates trust. And trust creates empowering and honest relationships between colleagues. And that's what in turn is going to increase collaboration and productivity. Because if you have honest relationships with your colleagues, you're going to have this um, these behaviours, these uh, rules that you're going to um, help somebody out if they need it. You're going to pick up over flow of workload if you've got the capacity because you've got that trust and that that's what leads to collaboration and productivity it's that feeling of, of being taken care of so in terms of demonstrating empathic leadership there are a few things that you can do to develop this within your approach first of all is just show genuine interest in others and I think one thing that really bugged me um, is when for example an employee walks in either to your office or over to your desk and they say is it okay if I talk to you for a second and the leader will be there typing an email and go and not look at them not look up and go yep sure what can I help you with and keep typing that's not creating an environment where I can open up to you or I can tell you what's going on or what I need help with if that happens stop what you're doing turn your chair look at them and make sure that they are your only point of focus for the point of which they need to talk to you that is what showing genuine interest in others is. And then, of course, you know, depending on the challenges that somebody is going through, be willing to help them, whether that's with a, prof- a professional issue, whether it's with a personal issue. I'm not saying get deep into, you know, people's people's personal lives and help with that. But, you know, for example, if somebody is struggling to get a doctor's appointment for their son at a work time that is, you know, a time outside of work, then allow them an hour and a half off to take their, their kid to work as kid to the doctor's. It's things like that. It's just going to, again, foster this feeling of, of empathy, of trust, of mutual respect. And that in itself is, is going to um, encourage employees to, to give those extra efforts. As we mentioned before, one-to-one meetings, check-ins, not always keeping it to the formal kind of appraisals or you know, monthly reviews. Just have a, a time in your diary um, where you're just going to uh, meet somebody, find them up, see how they're doing. Maybe not even talk about work stuff. Just see what what it is that that's impacting them at the moment. And I think we just keep an eye out on people. We all you know those cues of of people who are perhaps struggling a bit more that may be coming in a bit later than usually are, not looking as well presented, uh, maybe not as in, engaged in conversations or as meeting. Keep an eye out for those those warnings of burnout. And ultimately, you know, you can you can absolutely use your your leadership instincts with this and and, and new relationships with your team, but implementing some kind of employee analytics, some kind of employee engagement survey is going to help you understand how your people are currently feeling. So what your current climate is and also translating that into, into your culture and how you can overlay this engaging climate with your company culture. Fantastic. Okay. So we'll link to the article in the, in the show notes. Um, we also have a um, employee engagement product that we have ourselves, but it's not the only one on the market. There's plenty out there to choose from. Um, obviously, we think ours is the best. So if you go to oblonghq.com, there'll be a way you can get in touch with us there. Um, if you've got any thoughts about the podcast or you want to be a guest or you want to recommend a guest or just any kind of feedback, then just email us podcast at oblonghq.com. And I think, is there anything else you want to add for today? No, I think that's it. Thank you for listening. And uh, as ever, we would look forward to your feedback. Bye for now. Bye.